I'm Pastor Renz and I'm glad to be with you this morning. Kamusta po kayo? How are you guys? Good. Thank you for responding. If you are to ask me and my fellow staff, uh, church workers, we might still say that we might have a hung- hangover, a beach hangover. Do you remember the announcement three weeks ago? It is about the staff retreat and team building. As a staff care pastor for our church, it has been my privilege to lead the whole team in a retreat and push all of them to renounce technology, post work, and just to be unhurried. Unhurried enough so that we can physically rest emotionally wind down and spiritually recharge in a way that allows us to notice God's movement, God's challenges, God's working that is very often hidden around us, among us, and in us. I would say everyone had a good time. Many conversations, hands happened. And I guess it's safe to say that we were able to hit our goal to sit with the Lord with all of our beings and just to be unhurried. So why am I bringing up this picture showing it to you? Well, sana maingit kayo, nakapag-beach na kami. Joke lang po. But today, we are halfway through our book study of Esther and I want to ask you guys if you are growing to notice how God is moving in your lives? Do you notice God's invisible hands working through your midst? In a sense, are you unhurried enough to pay attention to notice how He is moving in your lives? How He is speaking, challenging, and changing you this season? What are His invitations to you from all the past sermons and studies? My dear friends, we still have five more weeks to go in our series, and I'm concerned about how are we maximizing our study. Ayokong dadaan lang itong 10 weeks na ito na sarapan lang natin, wala tayong mapupulot. Because the book of Esther does not only challenge us to trust in a God who is always at work, but all the more calls us, invites us, invites you and me to immerse, us, to immerse ourselves in a work of tracing the threads of God's sovereignty and faithfulness in our lives. In our lives that permeates every aspect, every department, every division of our being. Even amidst, even in the middle of the insignificant events of our everyday routines. He's there working. So Esther calls us to heighten our radars for God's invisible yet powerful, in control, good, and loving hands. I pray that we will grow in our ability to notice God's very real but often hidden activity around us and in us. So we find ourselves in uh, this morning in Esther chapter 5. Well, borrowing the line of uh, being unhurried, we see in our story today that Esther has decided to act in behalf of her people. But we also see she is also taking her time. Sa lahat ng oras ngayon pa siya nagdili-dali. And it seems that she is delaying her plan, yet we discover in our study 
that her being unhurried to bring up her request, she is operating in wisdom. While the other half of the story reveals the inverse, the foolishness of a man who is drunk and satisfied with pride. Today, join me in studying the tale of two banquets, a story that unpacks the nature of folly and wisdom. Let's read chapter 5. I want you guys to look at the pictures. Esther chapter 5. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on, on his royal throne in the hall, facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her and held out to her the golden scepter that was, that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the set, scepter. Then the king asked, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to the half of the kingdom, it will be given to you. If it pleases the king, let the king, together with Haman, come today to a banquet I have prepared for him. Replied Esther, Bring Haman at once, so that we may do what Esther asked, the king said. So the king and Haman went to the banquet Esther had prepared. As they were drinking wine, the king asked Esther again, Now! What is your petition? It will be given to you. And what is your request? Even up to the half of the kingdom, it will be granted. Esther replied, My petition and my request is this. If the king regards me with favor, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come tomorrow to the banquet. I will prepare for them. Then I will answer the king's question. Haman went out that day happy and in high spirits. But when he saw Mordecai at the king's gate and observed that he neither rose nor showed fear in his presence, he was filled with rage against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. Calling together his friends and Zeresh, his wife, Haman boasted to them about his vast wealth, his many sons, and all the ways the king had honored him and how he had elevated him above the other nobles and officials. And that's not all, Haman added. I'm the only person Queen Esther invited to accompany the king to the banquet she gave. And she has invited me along with the king tomorrow, but all of this gives me no satisfaction as long I see that Jew Mordecai sitting at the king's gate. His wife Zeresh and all of his friends said to him, Have a pole set up reaching to a height of 50 cubits and ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai impaled on it. Then go with the king to the banquet and enjoy yourself. This suggestion delighted Haman and he had pole set up. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. As we have read, we are picking up our study from Mordecai's challenge to Esther and her subsequent response. This has been a necessary element to thwart Haman's edict, his edict to annihilate all the Jewish race in the empire. However, the fact that Esther's commitment to her people, people has provided no specific assurance that she will succeed in her aim. So chapter 4 has ended with some important unresolved tensions. 
So the purpose of chapter 5 is to go one step further and begin to show how Haman's plan will unravel. Nevertheless, it is essential for us to realize at this point that we are entering a world of ambiguity. It is not that the text is ambiguous, though it leaves open um, unresolved key issues. Instead, the text invites us, it brings us to a world where right commitments do not guarantee good outcomes. Decisions must be made without any assurance that they will provide a favorable outcome. Relate ba kayo sa inyong mga life and life decisions? Esther has no idea whether her plan will succeed because we cannot compel God to work with us and achieve our goals. But God does work in all the things together for the good of His people who are called according to His purposes. But that does not mean we always receive what we want. There is no theological calculus that is at work that guarantees us freedom from pain, from loss, from suffering. Even if we are committed to God's people in His purposes, faithfulness is what is important, not the guarantee, not our shield from pain and, and suffering. You may ask, how does faithfulness unfold in our story? Where is the wisdom? The three-day fast has ended and Esther must prepare herself to meet the king without knowing what will happen. Something that she does with care and skill. Esther comes as close as possible for someone who is appropriately attired. The statement that she put on her royal robes denotes the lens to which she had taken and gone. And this is coupled by the six-fold repetition of the word royal. Notice the highlighted words. Confirming that Esther's choice of clothing was contextually appropriate. She only knew she she had one chance and could not blow it. So she really prepared for it. But, you know, it is interesting to note that where she previously only wore what um, Hegai suggested, now Esther takes the initiative. So bigatin at bongga talaga yung pormahan niya that day. Yung kagaya ng mga ginagawa ng mga moms natin kapag may bisita. Ilalabas na lahat ng korel, lahat ng noritake, kasi yun lang ang ipapagamit at ipapakita sa mga visitors. Hindi yung mga melamin o yung mga may basag, di ba? Mga mommies relate dyan. Anyhow, Esther, now dressed in her royal best, presented herself before the king. But Esther can only stand in front of the king's throne room since she may not enter without the permission of the king. Against all expectations, she won the favor of the king, and he extended the scepter to her in a gesture of recognition and welcome. At this point, we can breathe a corporate sigh of relief. The threat of death is gone. Esther will not die, but she will live. You know, guys, Esther's planning at this point, all her preparations, is successful. But gaining an entrance is not enough. Wisdom continues to be necessary to consider what is next to come and what are the next steps. The dialogue between the king and Esther begins. The king speaks first asking two questions. What is it? And what is your request? 
He offers to grant her any request up to and including the half of the kingdom. With what seems an open invitation, we expect Esther to immediately raise the issue of Haman's edict and mandate. What is surprising is that she did, he, she did not mention it at all. Oh my gosh. Instead, nagaya siyang kumain, mag-dinner. Well, she came from a three-day of, of fasting. Maybe nagugutom nga siya nun. We see here that the difficulty of the task facing her must be the reason why she delayed and did not respond directly to kings to the king's invitation to unburden her heart. Ano ba ba yung bumabagabag sa'yo? But the king was no dummy. He was very aware of the enormity of the task that Esther has taken with all the risk in appearing without an appointment or unbidden to her presence. Something important that is clearly troubling her. That's why he invited her to name her request. In name drop muna. But to our frustration, she requested the king in Haman to join him in a banquet she had already prepared. Naganda na talaga siya. Here, my friends, we see another layer of wisdom embedded in our story. Wisdom is not only knowing how to present oneself, it's also a matter of knowing when and how to speak. Good impressions cannot simply be based on appearances, kung paano mo, dal- kung paano mo dalhin yung sarili mo. No. More than that, wisdom involves knowing how things must be done, even so, flexibility is needed. Consider a couple of challenges that, that Esther faced. First, she was asking the reversible of an irreversible law, which has been sponsored by the most powerful man in the empire next to the king, and is signed with the king's own signet ring. Granting her requests would not only cost a lot of money, and this won't be done without the king losing his face and credibility since his own leader and official authorized the edict. Finally, to make her request, listen to this, she would have to reveal her hidden Jewish identity, risking a potential backlash from the husband she has been deceiving for many years. In wisdom, she was able to dodge both challenges. And in short, she was saying, let's have dinner first. Mamaya na natin pag-usapan yung request ko. A dinner invitation might suggest that the king, um, to the king that Esther is simply seeking more time, more fellowship time, more bonding time with him. However, since kasama si Aman, it also hints a broader concern, a deeper issue. But in light of this delicate situation, a discussion, a discussion around the dinner table is perhaps the most suitable, the most wisest decision for Esther. For since she will not to have publicly raised her concern, concern of the mandate. You know, in the Bible, this is again and again repeated, and we, we see this. The importance of table, fellowship, and banquets. Yung mga kainan. Jesus also took the opportunity to provide meals to raise up difficult issues and questions. So in the same way, Queen Esther chose a private meal 
as an occasion to raise her concerns with the king. And this perhaps is not surprising at all. Instead, it is a matter of developing a friendly, open, hospitable, congenial space, atmosphere, where they can discuss important matters without the pressure of formal structures. Kayo ba? Kailan nyo uh, binibring up yung mga agenda ninyo? Siyempre, timing ka naman, di ba? Hindi yung pwedeng kailan mo lang naisip o kailan mo lang feel. So that's the same game plan with Esther. At the banquet, the king again questions Esther, recognizing that there is more involved than a simple dinner. Similarly, the question comes in two parts and follows the standard pattern of politeness, offering Esther up to the half of the kingdom. Esther's answer simply repeats the king's word back to him, almost like she is chewing over his words before she begins a proper answer. In verse 8, we see that she begins to answer the king's request directly. And surprisingly, she again does not take up the issue of Haman's edict, but instead inviting the king and Haman to a second banquet. Are you guys frustrated already with what is happening? Esther's answer is, answer is structured around the two if clauses, each gradually narrowing the king's range of options. Do you see and notice Esther's genius here? We know that Esther has found favor with the king, and the king, based on backstories, the king always acts according to the advice that he has received. So Queen Esther makes the, fee, makes the king feel that he is in complete control of his faith and what he is doing with, with what is, he is deciding. And it, and it is hard to see how the king could deny her invitation since the purpose of the second feast was to do what the king had said. And that is to reveal her petition. Think about it. If the king came to her second feast, he was implicitly agreeing in advance to grant her wish and fulfill her request. No choice na siya, nandun na siya, nag-appear na siya. Napasubo na, kumbaga. Showing up makes it impossible for him to resist her actual request, whatever it is. But if he tried to back out at that point, there would have been three public strikes again against him. He would lose a great deal of his face if he went back on a public and repeated promises. Perhaps, my friends, the delay for the next banquet may well, may well increase our, the tension in our story, but it also means and reveals that Esther has a guaranteed response once she put her request to the king. So, what do we learn from this? What do we see? It is clear that Esther has a well-thought-out strategy and plan, and her language is carefully deployed to ensure that this strategy has the best possible chance of success. We see that the whole flow of events portrays Esther as a wise woman who is adequately prepared for the challenges of what is to come, what she is about to face. Another way to say, is, say this is, 
Esther's wisdom lies in the fact that she integrates commitment to God's purposes and His people with a careful craft in dealing with the king. Now, how about us? How often do we rush into situations without considering the timing, without discerning the options and the godly ways of bringing this about? Esther teaches us import, the importance of patience, of discernment, of wisdom, and trusting God's timing rather than our own impulses. Today, we are also halfway through the year 2023. Do our life decisions informed and rooted in godly wisdom? We can also ask ourselves, is all the work I'm doing in keeping with what God is doing and how He is doing it? Or are we overdoing something that God may later have to undo? May God help us and may we seek His guidance and wisdom above all things, above all our decisions. Are you still here? Hello? Hi. Let's move on to the second part of our story. Where Esther embodies wisdom, Haman comes across as a classical fool, though he does not know the danger that he is about to face. Verse 9 records that Haman rejoices that he was invited in the banquet with the king and the with the king and the queen, and he is glad and merry of heart, aloof. The last time, you know, the last time that, that is someone is merry and, and happy was back in chapter one, and it was the king. Just before, just before he made a severe misjudgment concerning Queen Vashti back then. This is already a hint for us that too much alcohol might lead Haman to a similarly poor decision. Well, Haman is shortly to do this to Mordecai. His pressing problem is that Mordecai continues to show him no respect, neither rising nor trembling whenever Haman is around. Just as he was in chapter 3, Haman was filled with wrath. But this time, he controls himself and returns home, where he sends and calls for his friends, some pity party maybe, and, and together with his wife. But the friends is satirically refers to as his wise man who gives out good counsel. But we see it's the opposite. Just as Esther's wisdom is progressively revealed in her speech and in, in her actions, so also Haman's folly is gradually demonstrated through the dialogue. Haman's goal remains the same, to resolve the Mordecai problem. But before doing so, he apparently felt the need to boast of all the glory of his wealth, the number of his sons, and the story how the king had elevated him above all the other officials to the most critical position in the empire. He told all of this, recounted all of these stories to his friends, close circle, and his wife, Zeresh. We can say that this was old news for his friends already. Luma na to, paulit-ulit ka na, para ka nang silang plaka. But indeed, 
his wife would know all about this. Automatic yan. Especially kung ilang anak nila. Mahirap na kapag hindi. Yari yung mga lalaki. Alam natin yan. But he did not stop there. He declared the cherry on top of all these things. I'm the only person that Queen Esther invited to accompany the, ki- accompany the king to the banquet Queen Esther gave. And she has invited me again tomorrow. Imagine the confidence he felt. The king and the queen were discussing personal matters in his presence. Haman is not only the king's right hand and confidant, but now he was sharing in the personal concerns of the queen as well. Haman must be thinking that since the queen had invited him to the banquet, she must undoubtedly trust him. His counsel, his advice. But as far as Haman is concerned, even this recognition, even this special invitation give him no consolation as long as that Jew, Mordecai, refused to worship him. Does this scenario familiar to us? Kapag di natin nakuha isang bagay, sira na ang lahat. Basically, what Haman was saying, listen to this. Let me say that again. Basically, what Haman was saying is that some people live for the fortune. Some people live for the fame, for the power, or even just to play the game. Some people want it all, but I, Haman, doesn't want anything at all if I ain't got Mordecai. O di ba, Alicia Kislang ang linyahan ni Haman. So ito na nga. The offense of Mordecai being at the gate and not offering respect offsets everything for Haman. Now we see the reason why they're having life group meeting, I mean, gathering of the friends and the wife. Haman wants an advice on what to do with Mordecai because Haman wants to enjoy the second banquet but cannot do so if Mordecai remains alive. Talk about allergies with people, no? Although he gains honor by attending that private banquet two times, Haman knows that Mordecai still undermines him by refusing to offer any ounce of respect. Now enters the ever-supportive wife, Zeresh. His wife takes the lead, recommending that Haman build a gallow and and convince the king to execute this adversary the first thing in the morning. With that accomplished, Haman could go to the second banquet by the queen in the same frame of mind as when he left the first dinner, intoxicatingly happy. Haman's response to his wife's counsel mirrors his king. He was pleased to do so. Interestingly, remember the edict or the Rule back in chapter 1 about ensuring that wives will obey and follow their husband's requests or what they required. This chapter, chapter 5, has now both the king and Haman follow the wives' suggestion and advice. Again, showing the foolishness of their claims to power. So what do we see here? What can we learn from here? For us today, Haman is a case study for us in what happens to our hearts 
when our idols are being challenged and when we try to chase after life satisfaction. It is one of the big ironies of our hearts. If you give your heart and life seeking satisfaction, satisfaction will be the last thing that you will ever have. Satisfaction will be the only thing that you will never find. Your heart will never be satisfied with things, whether in riches, in the big bank accounts, or significant savings, fastest cars, the number of stamps in your passport, the number of honors and medals that you accumulate in college or in high school, the successful business, the big um, cash flow, and so on. No, because our heart will only be satisfied only with the giver of these things. If you seek happiness, happiness will elude you. You know, before I used to believe that I only wanted a girlfriend, a life partner, that someone who would make me happy and joyful. Think, think with me for a moment about the dynamics of this expectation. I'm loading or putting, anchoring my dreams on my girlfriend's shoulder, now my fiance. But I failed to ask, who is this woman after all? Well, Joy is a sinful and flawed human being, just like me, and we're living in a fallen and sinful world. So it is very unlikely that she will ever deliver the dream that I am expecting and asking from her. Mga kapatid, whenever you name something in creation, that the very thing that will satisfy you, you are asking that thing to be your personal savior. This means that the very practical way you are looking horizontally for what will only be yours vertically. In other words, you are asking for something in creation, that thing, that very thing, that very idol to do what God can only do for you. If you insist on asking these things for this to be your happiness, your satisfaction, your heart will be empty and you will be left discouraged and frustrated all of your life. So here's the bottom line. If you seek satisfaction, satisfaction will escape your hands. But if you seek God, Rest in His presence and in His grace and put your heart in His most capable hands, He will satisfy your heart as nothing else can. Listen to this. For we do not seek satisfaction, hoping God, that will, hoping God will deliver it. No, we seek God and the result is the satisfaction of the heart. Let me say that again. For we do not seek satisfaction, hoping God will deliver it. No, we seek God, and the satisfaction of the heart is the result. Do you agree? May it be so, by His grace. Going back to the story, we have a big problem. Esther has shown great deal of wisdom so that the following day, she will somehow bring about that deliverance for all the Jews. But at the same time, Haman's anger against Mordecai has now put him in a train of action. If you are to consider it, 
deliverance without Mordecai will be a hollow victory, at least for Esther. So does this mean that Haman's folly outweighs wisdom? Here again, we see the world of ambiguity that the narrative mirrors for us, presents to us, one in which we, God's people, believers, must commit ourselves, our whole, absolutely to God and use all of the wisdom available. But again, remember that these do not guarantee the outcomes we desire. And wisdom can be undone by folly especially in the world that is sinful, that there is a lot of injustices and inequalities in power and structure. We are actually left at this point with unresolved tension. It will be the, the next preacher's problem to solve that tension. Joke lang po. But we see here, both Esther and Haman can sleep well because they believe they have put their plans that will result in their desired outcomes. But again, Esther needs God to be at work for she doesn't know what Haman is about. My brothers and sisters, we believe, we believers rather, may and indeed work with all of the wisdom that is available to us. Through his word, through his people, through his church, in whatever form, all of the wisdom we need However, we still need the mystery of God's involvement with, with, us, his, with us, his people. We believers, if, in, if justice, righteousness, goodness, his kingdom is to be expected here in earth as it is in heaven. It is vital, therefore, that we maintain the balance that chapter 5 gives to us, presents to us this morning. Christians, we believers, you and me, are to use every piece of wisdom that is available to us because we live in a world that does not recognize God's authority, even our right to assert that He is in control and He is at work. This is the ambiguity of the world in which we live, one in which we know and affirm, believe, assert God's presence in our midst, in our life. But, it's, but it is the same world where the mystery of God's presence means we do not dictate how and where He works. Yet, the invitation for all of us this morning is we continue to live with all of the wisdom that is available for us. May God bless us. May God Help us. Amen.